and has taught us much about praise over the years. Good morning. What a glorious morning, and thank you for being here. I'm so excited um, to be looking at God's Word with you today, and we're getting close to the end. Next week is our last uh, week of Bible study, and I'm very excited to be talking today about Elizabeth. What a woman of sterling character. I never realized just how remarkable and amazing this woman, uh, how remarkable she was. And the interesting thing to me is that this picture of Elizabeth that we see takes place during nine months of pregnancy. It begins with her becoming pregnant, and then the last we see of her is a week after she's delivered her baby John. I think that's interesting. Um, And it's fitting that we would study about a woman being pregnant because pregnancy is unique to women. And there's many of us in this room that have gone through that experience of pregnancy. But I know that not all of us have. And I uh, feel like there are probably some of you in this room today that have struggled with infertility or you might be struggling with it right now. And I know that this lesson might be hard for you to hear. Just the thought of someone being pregnant sometimes can bring you great sadness. So I want to say um, right up front that I'm sorry if this lesson brings pain to anyone. And I also want to say that I understand and it's perfectly all right if you need to step out. Um, You have permission to do that. Now, don't all of you step out because there are some good things in this lesson about Elizabeth. Um, but if you must, then, then we understand that. Uh, Scott and I have had the privilege over the years to uh, work in a couple of young married classes. The last one uh, was called Link, and we were involved in that class for six years, and it was a great joy and privilege for us um, during that time. They started out as newly marrieds, and then over time they were young marrieds, and they began to have children. I love babies, and so this was a thrill to me, and it was especially fun when they brought them to class, and I would get to hold them while Scott taught the lesson. And because of this, I got to go to many baby showers. Now, I love baby showers. That was fun. And I love these young girls that give baby showers today because they play games. You know, the games where you get the string and you see how, you know, big you think the mommy's tummy is and how much little things are going to cost, which I was terrible at that because I hadn't, you know, in the beginning bought very many things. And then there was this game that really took me aback. I've got to share it with you. It's where the hostesses take little pampers and they put in each pamper a chocolate candy bar or candy, like Junior Mints in one, Butterfingers in one. Yeah, I hear you guys out there know this game. You know, uh, Reese's Pieces. Then they put it in the microwave and they heat it for a few seconds. And then they smash it and they begin to pass these diapers around. And we open them and smell them and try to guess which candy is in this diaper. Get the picture? Yeah, so the first time that this happened, I thought, oh my goodness. And we're about halfway through this game with my nose in a diaper, and I just burst out laughing, thinking, what would it be like if some men walked into the room, and they saw all of us with our nose in these diapers with this melted chocolate? You can get the picture. You know, they would shake their heads, only ladies at a baby shower. Let's look at Elizabeth today as she is pregnant. Uh, We find her story in Luke chapter 1. So turn there with me. 
you can see that we have finally reached the New Testament. Up to this point, we have been looking at women that have been in the Old Testament. And the last three weeks, we have been in the historical period called the Kings. Although the prophets who came onto the scene, um, they were raised up by God, they tried to turn the kings and the peoples back to God, to loving God and obeying him. They were, for the most part, unsuccessful. So God, in judgment, first allowed the northern kingdom to be taken into captivity by the Assyrians, and then 150 years later, he allowed Judah, the southern kingdom, to be taken into captivity. Now, before this happened, God had told Jeremiah that the southern kingdom would only be in captivity 70 years. And then they would be allowed to return to Jerusalem, and there they would rebuild the walls of the city, and they would rebuild the temple. And that's exactly what happened. You can read about the captivity in the book of Daniel, and you can read about rebuilding the walls and the temple in the books of uh, Ezra and Nehemiah, and those little books, Haggai and Malachi. And then the Old Testament closes, and we have 400 years of silence until the New Testament opens with the birth of Jesus Christ. But the Gospel of Luke also includes the birth of John the Baptist. John the Baptist, who would come on the scene to prepare the way for the Lord. He would prepare the way for Jesus' ministry. And this is where Elizabeth comes in. Elizabeth is the mother of John the Baptist. So let's begin reading in verse 5. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah, who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were upright in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commandments and regulations blamelessly. But they had no children, because Elizabeth was barren, And they were both well along in years. We see here that um, Elizabeth and her husband Zechariah are from the tribe of Levi. Now that was the tribe that was, we've talked a lot about these tribes. They started because the 12 tribes, they represented the 12 sons of Jacob. And they went on and their families and descendants became the nation Israel. And this tribe of Levi was designated by God to take care of the temple and to teach the law to the people. And you might remember when we studied Miriam that Moses and Aaron, were they were all from the tribe of Levi. And when they first went into the wilderness and God handed down the law from Mount Sinai, it was determined that Aaron would become the first priest. God told them how to make a tabernacle, this temple that had movable walls. And there was an outer court and an inner court. And then in the very middle, there was this holy of holies, the holy place. And no one was allowed to go in there but the high priest Aaron. And then his descendants that would follow would um, take on these priestly duties. Then in 1 Chronicles 24, we see David, King David. They're going to build a permanent temple. His son Solomon would actually build it. And as David gets ready, he divides up the priests into 24 divisions. And these were 24 descendants of Aaron. And we read on your verse sheet in 1 Chronicles 24.10, this is the verse we're uh, interested in. It says, the seventh division to Hakaz and the eighth to Abijah. Zechariah was from this eighth division called Abijah. The 24 divisions uh, were on duty. Each division uh, was on duty twice a year for one week at a time. 
So let's read verse 8, what's happening. Once, when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. So this was a really big deal for Zechariah. Maybe once in your life you would be chosen to go into the holy place and to burn the incense. And you were chosen by Lot, which meant that you were chosen by God to go into the temple to burn this special incense that God had also given them a recipe for. And uh, we're not going to read it, but that's on your verse sheet in Exodus 30. God told them to make this incense especially for him. And it was a mixture of spices and frankincense and salt. And they would ground it together. And they were not to use this same blend for any personal use. It was only to be burned in the holy place before God. And so Zechariah would have gone in that day and uh, on the fire that was burning on the altar, he would have thrown the incense and the smoke and the fragrance would have gone up to God. And that symbolized the prayers of God's people going up to him. And then Zechariah, while he is performing this most serious and privileged role, Many people outside praying for him. God sends the angel Gabriel to tell him some very good news. Let's look at verse 11. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you are to give him the name John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from birth. Many of the people of Israel will he bring back to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. This is some really great news for Zechariah. Just probably when he was thinking it couldn't get any better than this in the Holy of Holies, here comes this angel to tell him this great news. And it was good news for him for two reasons. First, he was going to have a son. And we've talked a lot about that, how children were a blessing from the Lord. They still are. But in that day, people put high importance on it. And so if you didn't have a child, not only were you deprived of the joy of a child, but also you were looked upon as someone that had disfavor from God. And along with that came social reproach. Now, it's not like that today. But it very much so was back then in this time and culture in the Old and New Testament. The second reason that Zechariah uh, would have thought this was great news was because the angel says that his son would prepare the way for the Lord. That meant that God was sending the Messiah. The Messiah. The people of Israel had been waiting for the Messiah for hundreds of years. And now he is coming. And Zechariah's son will have a part in this. He would be the one to prepare the people for the coming of the Lord, to prepare the people for the ministry of Jesus Christ. This is almost more than Zechariah can believe. And so in verse 18 we read, How can I be sure of this? I am an old man, and my wife is well along in years. The angel answered, I am Gabriel. 
I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their proper time. Gabriel reassures Zechariah that this will come to pass. And Gabriel gives Zechariah a physical sign. He tells him, I stand in the presence of God, and these are his words, and they will come true. And the physical sign is that you will not be able to speak until this child is born. And in a way, we might see this as a punishment for Zechariah's lack of belief, but really it's a physical sign. And we see those often in Scripture where an angel will give them a physical sign to go along with this miraculous thing that is about to happen. It also makes me think of the phrase, be careful what you ask for, because Zechariah really asked uh, Gabriel. He said, how can I be sure? As if an angel telling you something wasn't quite enough. Um, Gabriel says, you will not speak for nine months. This will be a sign so that you can be sure. People were outside, verse 21 tells us, waiting for uh, for Zechariah to come out because the usual procedure would be he would come out and then give the blessing of Aaron to the people. This was a blessing that had gone down through the years. And he's slow in coming out and they're beginning to wonder what's going on in there. And then when he does come out, they see he can't speak. And so he begins to tell them in gestures, kind of like charades, I guess, you know, first, first word. And it sounds like he's pretty successful because they understand that he has seen a vision. Now, we don't know if Elizabeth was with Zechariah in Jerusalem. Uh, she might have remained at home, which was about four miles away in the hill country of uh, Judah. But I kind of think she was there. I mean, this was the biggest, most important thing Zechariah had done in his life. I think she was there. And scripture doesn't tell us for sure, but I also think that Zechariah was able to communicate to Elizabeth everything that the angel Gabriel had told him. Now, we know that she knew that he was to be named John, and I think she probably knew everything else that the angel had said. And it would seem plausible that Elizabeth, this faith-filled, righteous woman, had no trouble believing this message. She would have known the story of Abraham and Sarah and how long they had to wait for Isaac. And she would have known how Isaac had prayed for his wife, Rebecca, to have a son. And finally, she had twins, Jacob and Esau. And Jacob's favorite wife, Rachel, had struggled with infertility until she had Joseph and then Benjamin. Just like we studied Hannah, Elizabeth would have known the story of Hannah, and she would have known the story of the Shunammite woman. Verse 24 tells us, After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant, and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. She indeed becomes pregnant. And as we look at the story of Elizabeth, we see that she reveals in every relationship her wholehearted focus on God. So let's look first at her relationship with God. Excuse me. Verse 6 tells us that she was upright in the sight of the Lord. Now the Hebrew word for upright um, literally means righteous. She was righteous in the sight of the Lord. This is high praise. Elizabeth and her husband were godly people. 
Elizabeth's heart was turned wholly towards God. She loved God with her whole heart, and not even being barren for all these years had made her bitter or had turned her heart away from God. Verse 6 also tells us that she was obedient. She was observed all the Lord's commands. She was faithful to uh, keep the regulations blamelessly. She was faithful. She was full to overflowing with faith. In verse 25, we see her humility. She gives God the credit. She understands who she is in light of who God is. She is the recipient of God's mercy and blessing and favor. She is joyful that God is giving her this son. And she is grateful for what he has done for her. What a blessing to be pregnant with this son. And then it also says that she remained in seclusion for five months. Why did she stay in seclusion for five months? What does that mean? You know, most of the commentaries didn't even address it. Uh, One of the women in the uh, leaders meeting said, because she was throwing up, (laughs) there's someone that had morning sickness. That could have been true, but I think Elizabeth is preparing for her relationship with her son by seeking God I think she spent that five months seeking God. She must have spent time in prayer, praising God and thanking him for this blessing. And I think she probably um, asked for wisdom on how to raise this man of God. And I could see her doing that because of who John was going to be. She knows quite a bit about John from what the angel Gabriel told her husband Zechariah. First, she knows that he would be a joy and a delight to her. Second, she knows that many will rejoice because of his birth. Now, some would rejoice at his birth, but many more are going to rejoice in the years to come as they flock to hear John's words in the wilderness, calling them to repentance and then baptizing them to show God's forgiveness of sin. Third, she knows that he will be great in the sight of the Lord. Fourth, it says he will never um, drink wine. And that's probably a prophecy that John the Baptist would take the Nazarite vow. Now, the Nazarite vow, there's uh, more parts to it than just that. But one of them is you don't drink for minute drink. And people took a Nazarite vow to really set themselves apart for God's work. And I also think that John might have taken the Nazarite vow to really emphasize the urgency of his message. Return to the Lord, for the Lord is coming. Fifth, she would have known that he would be filled with the Holy Spirit even from birth. And that word birth, some of you may have seen this in your notes, that Hebrew word literally literally means in the womb. So from his time even in the womb, he would be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now let's talk just one second about the Holy Spirit. After Jesus' death and resurrection, 50 days after that at Pentecost, we read about this in Acts 2, God the Father sends the Holy Spirit to fill those that believed in Jesus, which is exactly what happens today. When we accept Jesus as our Savior, we are indwelt at that moment of belief with the Holy Spirit. And God will not take away that Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit will not leave us. And we can read that in Ephesians 1.13. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal of the promised Holy Spirit. We are sealed with the Spirit. But before this time, we've talked about it, how God would place his Holy Spirit on certain people, usually for a specific task. But he also 
could withdraw his Holy Spirit if they, for whatever reason, began to turn away from him or disobey him. We saw that with King Saul, how he had the Holy Spirit. And then when he was disobedient, when he turned away from God, God withdrew it. And it also helps us to understand why David, after his sin with Bathsheba, writes a psalm of confession, and that's Psalm 51, why he says in verse 11, Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. After Jesus, we no longer have to fear. We are sealed with the Holy Spirit. And John the Baptist would be filled with the Holy Spirit in the womb. The sixth thing that Elizabeth knew is that her son would go out with the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the heart of the people toward repentance and to prepare them for the Lord, this coming ministry of Jesus. Now, that's neat that we talked about Elijah last week, so we know who he is. He is the great prophet that uh, God raised up to go and speak God's words to the evil King Ahab. Elizabeth would have known what that meant, going, coming, that John would have the spirit and power of Elijah. I believe Elizabeth was diligent to seek God on caring for her son, not only physically, how she would make him healthy and strong, but also mentally and spiritually, how she would train him up, what she would teach him, how she must have thought about God's word, what she would teach him, and the law that we know she knew so well because she kept it blamelessly. She spent this time in solitude, and I think that sometimes we could benefit from spending some time with God alone. Some time with God in solitude. Does God have you in a place of waiting right now? And are you impatient? Maybe you need to go to God in solitude and to be quiet before him. Instead of taking our concerns or desires or dilemmas to others, take them to God and spend some time alone with him. We have a winter morning of prayer coming up January 10th. It's a great time to be alone with God. It's here at church and it's just a morning. Or maybe um, you don't want to wait that long. Maybe you would like to have this time of solitude before the holidays. Uh, you could do it in your home or go to the Botanic Gardens. It's still really pretty right now. Or whatever other place seems comfortable to you. If you have children, maybe you would want to swap out with a friend, get them to watch your children, and you could watch their children so that you could have this time alone with God. One thing I know that if you don't pull out your calendar and look for a day and schedule it in, it's probably not going to happen, and Christmas will come and go, and you will have not spent any time alone with God. I'm going to pull out my calendar. And if you do this and you want to, I'd love for you to share with me some of your experiences on your time of solitude with the Lord. Psalm 46.10 tells us, Be still and know that I am God. Sometimes we just need to be still to know God. And then our story goes on in verse 26. And now Gabriel has gone to Mary to tell her that she would become pregnant and that she would have the uh, son of the Most High, that she would give birth to Jesus. And Mary is concerned how this would happen. She's a virgin. She's curious. And so she asks Gabriel, and he tells her in verse 35, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be barren is in her sixth month. For nothing is impossible with God. 
Again, we see Gabriel giving a physical sign to Mary. He's telling her that her relative, Elizabeth, who was barren, is now six months pregnant. And we know that must have been an encouragement to Mary to hear those words. And we know it because in verse 39 it says, At that time Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. I love the words, she hurried. Right then she got ready and she went and hurried to see Elizabeth. You know, we always want to talk to people that are in our same situation. I think it's possible that Mary did not tell one person that the angel had come to her. She didn't tell anyone that she was pregnant until after she had gone to Elizabeth. We often do that when we experience a tragedy. We want to find someone that has experienced that very same tragedy. Or if we're in a new life situation, that we want to go and find someone that's experienced that life situation. When we were in the link class, I loved it because when one girl got pregnant, they would come in and begin to talk to the other girls and say, what do I need? You know, what what do I have to buy? And pretty soon they had compiled a list. It was, it was great. Um, and they would have the things you absolutely need and the things you probably need and then the things don't even bother buying. You don't need them. And certain um, girls would have their name and they'd say their number one must-have item. It was great. And ladies, have you been to Babies R Us lately. You need some help. There are so many choices. I'm going to see if I have my list here. Um, You know, there's choices in diapers. There's many choices of pacifiers. And there are choices on what kind of cream to use for a diaper rash. At Babies R Us, there are 21 different kinds of creams you can buy. Just to name a few. Desitin ointment, Desitin cream, A&D ointment, Balmex, Aveeno, Baby Aquaphor, Triple Paste Diaper Rash Ointment, Earth's Best Diaper Relief, Boudreaux, I can't even say this, Boudreaux's, and you're going to have to ask somebody, I'm just too old, Boudreaux's Blank Paste, and they probably use this in New Orleans, and then Cheeky Baby Butter. This is just a few of all of the um, things you can put on your baby. So Mary hurries to Elizabeth. Now, I don't know that they talked about the cream they would use, but, um, you know, I'm sure they might have talked about the uh, practical things. And when she gets there, we read, let's read verse 41. When, When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. John leaps inside of Elizabeth as he hears Mary's voice. And now Elizabeth is also filled with the Holy Spirit. And she praises God in a loud voice as she encourages Mary with these words, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is this child you will bear. She shouts it out. She shouts it out. Can you imagine her shouting this to Mary? So often we worship God quietly. Even our singing can be pretty restrained. I thought we did a pretty good job in here today on Thursday mornings. I always think of the African women that I met in Tanzania when I think of praising God loudly. I've had the privilege three times to go with Shelley Davis and some other women from Christ Chapel to Tanzania to lead a women's conference. And uh, each time that we've gone, we've been in a different part of Tanzania. And each place is really different from each other. But the one thing that is really the same is how all the women worship God with abandon. 
they start off singing and waving their arms. And you can tell that they can't keep still. And so pretty soon they're dancing around as they sing. And then they begin to join arms with each other. And they sing louder and louder to the Lord. Now the first time we went, you can imagine, uh, we stared at them. But they soon had us grabbing our arms. They had us dancing and singing, trying to sing in Swahili. I'll never forget Ellen Schaefer as two women grabbed her by each arm and had her dancing around that room in Dar es Salaam. It was wonderful. Now we go, we just get right into it. Right up front, we just start dancing around and, uh, and singing um, the little Swahili that we know. They didn't sing quietly. They sang loudly. And really, they were obeying Scripture when they did. Because we read many places in Scripture, shout to the Lord. I put two of them on your verse sheet. Let's just read Psalm 98.4. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Burst into jubilant song with music. There is a time to praise God by shouting to him. And that's what Elizabeth does. She greets Mary by praising God loudly. Let's go on and read verse 43. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. Filled with the Holy Spirit, Elizabeth recognizes that her cousin Mary is carrying the coming Messiah, her Lord, the Savior God has promised throughout the ages. Elizabeth recognizes the unborn Messiah. How encouraging for Mary to hear Elizabeth confirm this without Mary ever saying a word. She blesses Mary and she strengthens her by pointing out Mary's belief and confidence in this great and good thing, but somewhat confusing as she, a virgin, carries the Son of God. And we also see Elizabeth, the older woman, treating Mary with great respect. Elizabeth is a humble woman, and her humility is clearly seen in the way she talks to Mary. We don't see any jealousy. We don't see any envy in her. Instead, we see in her humility the way that she focuses on Mary. And I think that she can do this because she is focused on God first and foremost. And so she has that ability to treat Mary with humility and to focus on her. Never do we see Elizabeth saying, hey, but don't forget about me. I'm pregnant too. Uh, I'm having the forerunner of Jesus. Many people will rejoice. You know, she never says that. Instead, she focuses and she blesses Mary. When I think about John the Baptist, I think of him being so humble. And I wondered, um, after reading this, how much of Elizabeth's uh, character of humility rubbed off on her son John. And I just want to share this favorite passage of mine about John the Baptist. It takes place in uh, the book of John, chapter 3. Now, John the Baptist had his disciples as well, but Jesus has come on the scene. John has already said, Behold the Lamb of God, and has baptized him. And people begin to follow Jesus. And so the disciples of John come to him and say, Hey, look, people are starting to follow Jesus. And this is what John the Baptist says to them. Verse 28 um, of John 3 on your outline. You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Christ, but am sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. 
That joy is mine, and it is now complete. He must become greater. I must become less. Those are very humble words of John the Baptist. And we see that same humility in Elizabeth. Elizabeth stays focused on God, and humility is a result. Verse 56 tells us that Mary um, stays three months before going back home. She probably stayed until Elizabeth uh, delivered John. And what did they talk about for the three months? I can imagine how the older, wiser, godly Elizabeth shared her wisdom with Mary. How she may have prayed with her. How she may have shared scriptures with her and mentored her encouraging her and strengthening her so that she could go back to face her friends and her family and Joseph with this incredible news. How they probably laughed together and how they might have even cried together as they thought about what the future might hold for each of them. It must have been a very, very special time for them. And I just thank God that he gives us friends and mentors in our life. Now let's finish up Elizabeth by looking at the relationship she has with her husband. Elizabeth shows strength as she supports her husband. We know that Elizabeth's godly and blameless behavior would have brought honor to her husband. And then let's read in verse 57 what else we see. When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they shared her joy. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. But his mother spoke up and said, No, he is to be called John. They said to her, There is no one among your relatives who has that name. Then they made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child. He asked for a writing tablet, and to everyone's astonishment, he wrote... His name is John. Immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue was loosed and he began to praise God. And then we see the, in verse 66, What then is this child going to be, the people said, for the Lord's hand was with him. We see that Elizabeth um, has great strength of character when she stands up to the people and she says no. No with an exclamation point. His name is John. And I really think that statement was an encouragement to Zechariah, who wanted to obey God. Zechariah must have told her that Gabriel had said his name would be John. John by the name, John's name means uh, God is gracious. I think that she shows respect to her husband when she says that his name would be John. And then Zechariah confirms this by writing on a tablet, his name is John. John the Baptist, who would go on as people look at him to say, this is somebody special. The Lord is with him. And Jesus says about John the Baptist in Matthew 11, 11, on your verse sheet, I tell you the truth, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Elizabeth's story ends here as John's uh, story begins. And I am just struck again at what a remarkable, amazing woman Elizabeth was. 
Elizabeth, filled with the Holy Spirit. And I thought about Paul, what he said in Galatians 5.22 about the fruit of the Spirit, and I wrote that on your verse sheet. And as I read it, think about these character qualities and how they really fit this life of Elizabeth. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Elizabeth is a great example for us today with regard to our relationships. From Elizabeth, we really learn that seeking God first will enable us to treat all other relationships with, and you fill in the blank, what do you need for your relationships today? Do you need patience or maybe wisdom? Do you need kindness or humility? Or maybe you need to be an encourager. Or maybe you just need love for those relationships. We can see from Elizabeth's example that by seeking God first, he will enable us to have what we need for our relationships. And how do we seek him? We all know that by spending time with him, spending time in prayer, praising him, thanking him, pouring our heart out to him with our concerns and dilemmas. We seek him by reading his word by going to the Word of God and listening to what He has to say to us. And we seek Him by spending time with godly women. Maybe you need a mentor in your life. If you do, then see Lynn Kitchens or Sally Matthews, and they can get you set up with a godly woman. We learn from Elizabeth that seeking God first will enable us to treat our other relationships with everything we need. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for this story of Elizabeth, how it has touched my life. Father, how we see your goodness and your grace and your mercy and your favor in this story. How we see um, so clearly that seeking you first, focusing on you more than anything else, that is what really helps to make all of our other relationships um, excellent in every way. Father, thank you for doing that for us. Lord, I pray for the women that are here today. I pray that you would use your word to go deep into their hearts and to change them. Father, to draw them closer to you. You are mighty and you are awesome. And we love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, Deb. That was